Okay, episode two of the Flatback Four Soccer Development Podcast. I have Andre Campbell here with me today. Andre, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Mitch. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing good. So, Andre, um, you have a multitude of soccer experiences. Um, last episode, I had a friend of mine from South Africa called Costas Goliadis. And yeah, he talked me through his background and the way they see um, soccer in South Africa. And uh, mm-hmm. you being Jamaican, I'd love to know, you know, what the background was for you. So fire away. Sounds good. Um, so I mean, like any, you know, any young kid who's involved or like the game, you know, I started out as a young kid just, you know, watching the game on TV because in Jamaica, we're we are really big soccer um, country. So pretty much it's most kids in Jamaica is either soccer, track and field or cricket. So it's not like in America where you have a whole ton of, you know, yeah. different. So those are pretty much the three basic um, sports that most kids try to get involved with in Jamaica. And I mean, I was no different. I mean, I didn't, my family, in terms of my dad and mom or anyone in my family that I know, none of them played. So I don't know where my love and passion came from for the game, but I was like any other kid in Jamaica growing up playing on the streets. That's how it pretty much all started for me. Awesome. And then, and then um, I, I remember when the burning sensation that burning passion for the game came about and that was in 1998 when Jamaica qualified for their first and only World Cup and to be honest Mitch like I was just uh at that time I think I was uh you know around nine ten year old thereabouts and just to see what a nation qualifying for the World Cup does for the country because at that time there was a lot of, you know, crime and violence and stuff like that. And when we qualified for the World Cup, mate, I'm telling you, the entire country changed. Like, you were you were like, wait, I thought there was violence and crime going on. Why is everybody rallying around, you know, joining hands with each other, celebrating the, the country's achievement? And as a young kid, I remember looking at myself, I looked at my mom and I said, look, if this little thing can create that much change amongst people, this is what I want to do. And from then on, I just, you know, I just went after it every day. Just everything mainly for me started out in the streets. Just playing with my friends, barefooted in the streets, six, seven hours straight. We didn't care. We didn't yeah. care about food. So pretty much that's how it all started out for me. That's awesome. And then, uh, so where did that lead you, if you don't mind? Just a uh, quick summary of the soccer yeah. career you've had. I mean, to keep it brief, um, because I was so into the game, I, as I said, every single day I was, you know, chipping away. I was doing something every day that would, you know, help me to be better. And when I was about, fast forward to when I was about, 15, 16, I, you know, it started become evident where, you know, this kid, he probably have a little bit of talent, you know, maybe he can go places if he continues. And that was the only thing in my head to just keep going. 
at 16 year old, I made my debut in the Premier League back home in Jamaica for a team, my first club in the in the top team club in the on the island. Like made one of the teams that's playing in the Premier League, pretty much. I was 15 when I joined them, and then at 16, I made my debut in the Premier League back home. What club played. was that? That club was called Rivoli United. Right? And then I spent one and a half, maybe two years there, and then I went to, I was transferred to one of the top teams in the, in the country, Homer United, where I spent five years. Then my sixth year when I left, I went to a team called Waterhouse. So I played with three clubs in Jamaica, Rivoli United, Homer United, and Waterhouse. And after I spent maybe nine months at Waterhouse, and that's when my break came with the opportunity to play in Norway. I was 21 at the time. And from Norway, I came to America. I played here five years for various clubs. And um, of course, the national team, U20, U23, and the, the seniors. Nice. Uh, what, what's the, uh, the league level like in Jamaica? Wow, um, the level in Jamaica, I, to be honest, I think there's a whole lot of talented, when I say talented, Mitch, I mean really talented youngsters in Jamaica. But the problem that we face in Jamaica is the, the politics and opportunity. And yeah. you know, no matter how good you are, if you don't get opportunities to show that, it's, you know, pretty much done. So the level in Jamaica, it's, it's a high level, fast pace you know, physical. Like I tell people all the time, if you can play in Jamaica, you should be able to play anywhere else in the world because, <laughs> you know, most of the world has, you know, their stigma and host that we're so fast and we're so athletic and all of that. So can you imagine a, a, a game with 22 athletic players? Yeah, that would be... Uh, Energy, fast pace, you know. Ender's nightmare. Yeah, man. It's But it... it it's a really good place. It's a really good place to, to, to kickstart your journey because it's not all, you know, all fancy and everything. Those type of environments teach you to, to work for everything you want. You know what I mean? Yeah. Awesome. And it keeps, it keeps you honest. So, so I would say the level in Jamaica is, is pretty, not the highest level in terms of tactically, but Come on, man, with, with the, the host of speed and the athleticism that we possess, you know, you, you definitely benefit a lot from that spectrum. I imagine it to be a, the sort of place that if it had um, sufficient funding and uh, created you know, more opportunities that you could uh, definitely be producing some, some top players from there. But um, what is your experience of youth soccer there? Youth soccer, I really enjoyed my time yeah, in the youth, youth soccer scheme of things, man. Like, you know, it was just a joy. Every day you go to school, you leave school with your mates, you go to practice, you know. And most times it's bragging rights. Like, you're from that neighborhood, you play with that team. I'm from this neighborhood, I play with this team. And we each other at school and for the entire lunch break or after school, we're banting each other. Look, we're going to beat you guys on Saturday. It was just a, a fun atmosphere. I mean, 
during that time, I knew there was a lot of challenges, but as a little kid and you know, the joy, the joy that you get from playing the game, like it kind of distracts you from certain more serious things that's going on in terms of, you know, the infrastructure, the, the facilities, the fields, everything wasn't the best, but hey, we still get to play, even if it's in the street. So we were always thankful for those moments, even though we knew it wasn't the best. And we just tried to make the most of, you know, the little that we had. Yeah, sure. I think growing up playing youth soccer in Jamaica is, is fun, man. Any, any player, past player, current player, that's in those situations or who have been a part of those situations can, I'm pretty sure they'll be able to say the same. They enjoyed their youth career. Yeah. Um, and then what is, like, do, is there a game for women there? Yeah. But, I mean, with, with soccer in Jamaica, um, Mitch, like, it's sad to say this, and a lot of people, you know, have been coming out more and more saying the same thing. So, you know, for neutrals looking on, like, are you going to say all of these people are crazy for, you know, coming out saying the same thing? And it's with the, the politics that's involved, you know? Yeah. The politics, it's, it's, it's too much. And I think it stops or it hinders a lot of or growth in terms of the youth game and the women game in, in, in Jamaica. But also on the women's side, we have a whole lot of talented young women, man. But again, the opportunities and the, you know, being in that soccer environment, pretty much that's, that's there to, you know, help and, and, um, foster these young talents it's it's not there as much and that's why mainly the ones who pretty much are able to make a you know forge a part for themselves are the ones that are really strong mentally Mitch like if the mental piece is not if the mental piece is not present it's gonna be uh, twice as hard man and it's already so hard for us to get to get a, a look in sure so um how like how did your move to Norway come about? Because it's obviously it's not like it's just down the road or <laughs> did you have an agent or? so when I played with the U20s, we missed out on the World Cup, U20 World Cup. I think it was the 2009 World Cup. Or that during that period, we had a really good teammates. Most of those players know that they're actually playing in the, the, the senior setup, no. Um, we had a really good U20 team. And we went to the World Cup qualifiers in Trinidad, where we played against US, Honduras, and I think it was El Salvador. So we wanted one point to qualify, right? And um, of course, the last game, where we wanted that one point to, to qualify for the World Cup, we ended up getting two red cards, first oh. half. <laughs> so you already know, mate, it was always going to be a hopeful battle from there. But after that game, I met, you know, a couple of P 
people from England, you know, agents, scouts, all of that stuff. And I actually signed with an agent then. That was my first, you know, encounter with any agent or anything like that. And, you know, honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't a good experience because this guy, he would just call and make promises. Oh, we're going to, you're a top player, man. We're going to get you this. We're going to get you that. January, and then as a as a little kid who who aspired to to forge a career out of this this game that you love, like you're hanging on to this guy's word, especially knowing that he has a lot of the players at that time in the national team. He was representing them, and those players were playing in Europe. So can you imagine a young kid, you know, playing under twenty, seeing this guy approaching you, telling you he wants to represent you? You're like, oh. This could be, you know, a great opportunity to get your break. But that went on for like a year, you know, didn't get a trials, didn't get a team or anything. And then I just lost hope in him. And I was from then, one thing I've always noticed about myself growing up, like I was so engulfed in the game. I, I, as a youngster, I was really experienced in terms of, you know, what to expect out there in terms of soccer and then I was like okay maybe this is just one of those encounters I'll just keep doing what I'm doing whatever happens happens <clears throat> but my break didn't come until after the U20 so immediately after the U20 qualifiers I got called up in the senior team when John um when John Barnes was the was the coach oh okay John Barnes was the, the coach who gave me my first two cap with the, the senior men's national team. Immediate, I remember it like it, it was yesterday. Immediately after the, the tournament in Trinidad, while we were in the airport um, waiting for a flight, our coach came over and like, oh, three players from the U20 team got called up into the senior national team. Mate, when he called my name, I was like, no way. That's awesome. I'm, I'm going to, because most of the players, even some of the players who qualified to the World Cup was still playing in the national team at this point. Yeah. So remember, these guys are national heroes, bro. Yeah. First, we find for a World Cup, and Andre Campbell is going to be training and being in the same environment with these guys? Wow. So, yeah, when I went there, you know, of course, as any youngster being called up in a senior team, you know, you're kind of shy. You're kind of, you know, like, geez, that's Ricardo Gardner. Like, this guy is my idol. And he's right here. You know what I mean? And you watch these guys. You watch the little things that they do that, you know, sets them apart. How they carry themselves. You know, their training habits. Little things like that. You know what I mean? And then for me, it was just such a joyful moment. And of course, I, I, I made use of that opportunity because, you know, those opportunities doesn't come, you know, often. You know what I mean? So, yeah, John Barnes was responsible for giving me my first two caps for the national team. And, um, yeah. That's awesome. So, what was... I'm a Liverpool fan, so uh, obviously John Barnes is in Liverpool folklore, really. And uh, what, uh, what was he like as a person? Mate, when John Barnes got um, elected to be our national team coach, I was like, what, John Barnes? I mean, I didn't know that much of him. 
But then you start hearing the older guys in the soccer community talk about this guy. And then the little that you would see on the... There was this English... Back in the days when Liverpool was, you know, dominating, when he was playing, there was clips and stuff. And I was like, I need to know who this guy was. You know what I mean? And when I watched, I was like, man, this guy was... He was he was a boss. Yeah. His personality, bro. True professional. Yeah. One of the nicest guys. He's just calm. I don't even remember a moment with him being, you know, hangry or, you know, over the top in a negative way. Yeah. And the confidence that he gives the young players coming into the squad, like, it was immense, man, and it helped us a, a whole lot. He would have talked with us. Look, the only reason why you're here, you're good. You're a good player. I don't care about your age, your background, whatever. You know what I mean? And little stuff like that for a young player coming into a senior team set up, it, it goes a far away, you know, helping you to, to relax, you know, sure. get your foot and, and, and do what, you, do what you're, you love best and what you know to do best, you know? So his personality, I think it was a really good positive light for us. Did you, um, did you, did you, would you say you learned a lot from him? I learned a whole lot from him, man. Like in the video sessions leading up to games and stuff like that, you know, I mean, my first cap, I started and I remember, <laughs> I think they had, I think they probably, because the coaching staff, you know, as a young, I was going to start that game. My debut, I was, I, I started against 80 in, in Florida. And, you know, as a young, young player, coaches, the staff, everybody, like every two minutes they come, remember this, remember that, just relax, do your thing. And I think in those moments, because, you know, before games, you know, people can get, you know, a little bit, you know, worked up a little bit too much for the game and it caused you to get anxious and maybe a little bit of nerve setting in. So I think them, you know, coming over so often kind of start putting a little bit, I'm like, this is not the first time I've played, man. I know, I know I'm yeah. good because I'm 19 year old and everybody else is, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s doesn't mean it's the game still, man. Yeah. I just want to go out there, work hard for the team you know, do do what needs to be done. But every time in practice, he would take us, show us little things. You know, at that time I was playing, I mean, I was a left back, I was the defender. So he would help me with positioning, you know, checking for cues, stuff like that. Just the tactical part of the game. So that kind of leads me to my next question, because he was so well known in England for being just technically brilliant. And... Uh, Especially for a big guy, because he was not small. Yeah. Um, um, did he? Could he still have some of it? Like if he's getting in there and demonstrating, could you see still? Oh, he's got some skill. Dude, he, this guy is class. What do you mean? Yes. I remember one in practice. We before we before the team had traveled, and I think we were working on, um, you know. Um, finding space so wide and getting crosses into the boxes, stuff like that, you know, and on the left side. And, of course, I was, I was a, I'm a lefty, and he was a lefty too. 
So there was this build-up play on the left-hand side of the pitch, and he, he jumped in, and the guy just made it look effortless. I'm like, this guy, man, why is he showing us up like that? <laughs> <laughs> just after the practice, I remember we were in the team bus going back to the hotel, and that was all that's on everybody's lips, man. Dude, did you see that series of play that he jumped? I'm like, how oh, is he so good? You know what I mean? And little moments like that too, it has as an inspiration for us because, you know, at times, because players in Jamaica, for the most part, sometimes we can get carried away in terms of you're dominating in Jamaica and, you know, the whole country is singing your name and you think you're on top of the world now, you know? So those little moments when a coach or a player from abroad or, you know, a, a player who's in a whole different life, you know, yeah, does something like that, you're like, wow. Maybe I'm not, I'm, I'm not there yet. I still have some ways to go, you know what I mean? Because if he's at that age and still able to do all of this stuff, can you imagine when he was in his prime? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's very mind-blowing. Yeah, from time to time he would hop in, especially um, rondos and stuff like that. Mate, I'm telling you, man, because even one of the players that was the standout player in the in the World Cup in '98, Theodore Whitmore, he's the he's still the the current coach of the national team too. Mate, when you go to practice and you kick around with those guys, man, like those guys will embarrass you, man, as old as they are. As old as they are, Mitch. <laughs> it's like it doesn't leave him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, that's awesome. Well, um, so what was it like? Just tell everyone what it was like being called up to the national team for the first time. Because obviously you did it at a youth level first. Was it under 20? Yeah. Was that your first? Yeah. So so I tried out for you. Well, how was it? I remember getting called to the U17 camp. But what had happened was I was a few months too old. So when, so if we had gone through qualifications and everything and we would qualify, I would be, I would turn 18 before, you know what I mean? So yeah. I couldn't rep- that's how I, I got bumped up to the U20s because I played with the U20s when I was 17, 16, 17. Yeah. So that's when they pushed me up and I did well and I I was a part of the team that, that worked up qualifying here but I didn't play much because I was, you know, one of the youngest players on the team and um, I mean, during that, during those years I learned a lot and then the second the second um, turnaround for the, the next round of U20s, I was one of the senior players because I played in the previous bunch, you know? Yeah. But the national team, man, when I got called, as I said, that day when, when we were in the airport coming back home, going back home to Jamaica, and the coach told me, man, like, when I went home, honestly, Mitch, I cried, man, because as a kid, I always tell myself, I'm going to play with the national team. Yeah. But, it's one of those things you say it and you believe you can you're good enough if you keep working if you keep working hard you'll be able to achieve that someday yeah. but when it actually happened in front of you man like you're like wow I, I can't believe i actually did it yeah you know? 
So it was a really, a really proud moment for me, man, I'm, and my family, my friends. But then I think as it went on, like that passion, that love, it, if I'm going to be honest, I think it kind of, it kind of dwelled in a little bit in terms of it, it kind of left me because of the state of how the national team was being run. Oh, okay. Yeah, man. So you're a kid, you're a little kid, you know, aspiring to, to play with the national team, but you don't know what's going on in the current setup. Sure. You're just on the outside looking in and you, you know, you would go to the stadium, you would watch a game, you would see how happy and how people are whenever the team wins, whenever they lose, you would see they share their, you know, frustrations, this and that. So you know it meant a lot to people. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then when you get into the system and you really see how the system works, like it kind of, it kind of changes you somewhat, you know? So you leave from being so hyped up, so so overwhelmed that, yo, you're really about to play with your national team. To the and then, fast forward when you you get the experience of how the team is run, how the the whole setup is, you're like, this is not what I thought it would be. You know what right. I mean? Just and one, the only thing I don't want to dig too much into it, but I'll just leave it as too much politics in the game. Yeah, too much. Too much politics. Yeah. But regardless of all the those type of experiences I had, like sometimes in life you have to take you have to take the bad with the good, man. That's I mean, some would say that's the balance, you know? Sure. It's not all you know, nice and pretty all the time. Sometimes you're gonna have to roll your sleeve up and know that hey, you you just gotta grind it out. You know, if you really believe in yourself and you believe, you know, that, you know, you can really forge a career out of this, there's going to be obstacles for sure. Yeah. There's no, there's no two ways about that. And my biggest obstacle, speaking about obstacles, my biggest obstacle was when I broke my leg in 2010, 10 months out of the game. That was by far the most devastating moment of my career. But at the same time, it was the defining moment of my career, if that makes sense. Uh, explain more on that. Why I said that, in 2010, I was playing in the Premier League with Fulham United, one of the top teams in Jamaica. <clears throat> At that time, I'm telling you, Mitch, I was, I think I was experiencing the form of my life. You know, most times athletes, they would tell you they, they felt like they was in the moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you couldn't do you're in the flow, man. Like, you can't do anything wrong. Yeah. That was me. I was playing with the U21 for my club, and I was also playing in the senior senior team. I would play on a Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, every week. Fridays with the U21, Wednesdays with the seniors, sometime when we have a midweek game, and, and um, Sundays. But, um, the coaching staff was worried that I was probably getting burned out. So they, they decided to rest me for one game. But that game that they decided to rest me for was a rivalry game. And mate, I'm telling you, rivalry games in Jamaica? <laughs> this is, it's like Boca Junior, <laughs> River Plate, Barcelona. I'm serious, mate. 
So we're playing against this team, Humble Lions. They call Humble Lions. Um, tough game, man. And I was on the bench that that game, and the game was so heated. I was. I looked over and I told my teammate, bro, if I don't play today, I wouldn't be upset at all. <laughs> you see what's going on out there? Yeah. from left to right, mate. And second half started. We were under a little bit of pressure. Coach came over. Andre Warm, Mitch. I literally got up, I ran maybe 10 yards, and on my way coming back, he was like, oh, let's go, let's go. So I'm not even warmed properly, bro. I'm like, jeez. Anyways, long story short, I got ready, and within less than a minute after I went on the pitch, I remember it so, vi so vivid. I went on the pitch, I ran straight to my teammate. It was a throw-in for us. I went straight to my teammate to, to receive the throw-in. He threw the ball to me. I took a touch, and right when I was about to cross the ball, man, um, I looked across, and I saw this guy already in that tackle position, sliding tackle position, coming in hard. The only thing I could think about, just jump. And when I jumped, he tackled the ball, but the follow-through came through and hit my leg in the ear. And you know when you break a piece of stick, yeah. you hear that sound. Oh, yeah. I heard what I'm like, that's his cleat on my shin pads. Because at this moment I'm not feeling anything. Sure. So, you know, playing it out, I fell. And then I heard the crowd, the stadium start chattering. Did you did you hear that? That leg is broken, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what are these guys talking about? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm like, so when I got up to start walking now, I'm like, oh, wow. I felt, you know, half of my leg going one way, half going the other way. I'm like, wow, no way. And then I sat down. My teammates come in trying to get me up. I'm like, no, mate, I'm, I'm badly hurt. I, I think my foot is broken. You know what I mean? And long story short, it was broken. I went to the hospital, you know, but the doctor said I was this close to to get in a surgery because the only thing that saved me was a clean break and the bone was able to heal on its own but I would have to be in a cast yeah um, so I ended up being in a cast as I said long story short I ended up being out for 10 months I had to learn how to walk again the whole works mate gym every day yeah and it was after this moment that my breakthrough came so that's why I'm a firm believer in, you know, you got to weather the storm, man, because on the other side of that storm, it's that bright sunny day that you've been waiting for. All that work you've been putting in from day one, you know, yeah, it's going to come. Yeah. Wow. Hey, so um, just going back to the, uh, the, the national team chat as well. Right? Yeah. So you talked about some of the big players that were uh, part of the setup. When you went to your first camp there for the national team, what players yeah. did you uh, did you get to encounter? You <sighs> said Ricardo Gardner. Yes, man. I, I, you you probably you probably know Ricardo Gardner. He spent like eleven, twelve years in Bolton. Yeah. Bolton, yeah, I remember him. Yeah. 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 So growing up as a kid. He was my idol in, in the Jamaicas. Um, you he, know, same position as you, right? Same position too, because 
when he was getting older, getting closer to the end of his career, he, when I was in the national team, a lot of people keep, kept saying I was going to be the next Ricardo Gardner because at the time I had dreads like him. I played the same position, everything. So everyone was like, oh, he's going to be the next, you know, Ricardo Gardner. And as I said, man, the politics sets in and he got so bad to the point where, you know, the, the media back home, when I, this, at this point I was playing in Norway. And they kept asking the national team call, why are you not a part of the national team? But I just leave it at it's just politics because I don't really want to get too deep in why I was I didn't play as I, I didn't play I have a longer career in the, the senior setup. It there was a reason for sure. And um, you know, with personnel from the national team, as I said. I really don't want to go too deep in that convo, you know, but I'll just leave it as too much politics. But yeah, Ricardo Gardner, Ian Goodison, so much of those top players, man, who literally brought the team to the World Cup. Yeah. You know what I mean? And to be rubbing short. Marlon King at that time, a lot of a lot of those that was the that same era when Marlon King and those English players were starting to, you know, come yeah. into the, the national setup. <laughs> But my favorites were always um, Ricardo Gardner and Ian Goodison. Yeah, that's pretty cool, though. So Marlon King was a good, good striker, though. Yeah, he was good, man. Powerful, wasn't he? He was good. <laughs> he was good, man. He came in the national team, and this guy would score goals for fun, man. <laughs> you can't give him a sniff of that goal, you know? Yeah. And, just to be around these guys, man, it was as a youngster, it was it was immense for me, you know. Yeah. So you're uh, you're still playing though, right? But you're playing indoor, is it now? So yeah, I was playing with Ontario Fury, but um, I got injured last year, and um, for this past season, I wasn't a part. Of, I, I mean, I still have a contract, but. I was injured, so I was, you know, on the sideline for most of the time. But, you know, when we go back playing and stuff, I, because I'm still young, you know, and a lot of people keep asking, why did you retire so early? But it's just a thing as, you know, at some point, if you leave a cup under the faucet, you know, at some point it's going to run over. And it was the, you know, the injustice to us, players, especially the players from the Caribbean. And as I said, man, it's too much politics, man. And I came abroad, I went abroad, I came in America and I, I, I was still facing it. So I was like, you know what? Maybe it's time to, you know, maybe step back and start focusing on what I want to do after my playing days. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're coaching now as well, right? Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm, Involved in coaching as we speak full time. So I do, um, so I have my own private and group session and group training sessions. I have my own company where I do my own sessions. And in addition to that, I coach um, boys 08 team. So the team is called Ochiki FC. So both me and my, my friend. Um, we we started that club. And how's that going? 
Ah, everything is going good. So last year was our first year, and we actually, the boys did well. We actually won, and we're moving on to to silver for well. No, I don't know <laughs> when the the soccer is gonna be back up and and running full time. But yeah. And uh, is that in LA? Yeah. So the, yeah, this is in LA. Yeah. Awesome. So. Um, we've already talked about uh, John Barnes being an influence on you as well. Any, is there any other coaches out there that have had an influence on you and made you, inspired you to want to get into coaching? Yeah, man. It, um, this is a, and this topic in terms of coaching, it, it's a, it's one I find um, fascinating, man, because you have a couple, couple coaches. I mean, a lot of coaches, I'm pretty sure every single coaches that I've um, worked with, you know, they've helped me some way or, you know, in some way or another. But you have a few that really stuck out. And the first that came to mind was this um, trainer back in Jamaica. Like, everything that I had achieved in Jamaica and in the national team and living abroad to play in Norway, I would give most of the credit to him because this guy, Mitch, he single-handedly, when I broke my leg, every single day, Mitch, during the week, every single day, Monday to Friday, this guy makes sure he's available to help me throughout my recovery. We were, mate, I'm telling you, him and I, the only ones on the, on the pitch because I wasn't going back to train. When I was cleared to start doing training again, I wasn't with the team. I was isolated with him. So in the mornings, we would go to the gym, and then at evenings, we would be on the, the field, you know, doing little little stuff, you know, as I said, learning to walk again and, you know, building back up little by little. So his name was Junior Samuels. That guy, he holds a special place in my heart in terms of, you know, in the, in the, the soccer scheme of thing, even in life too, because we had, you know, great conversations about life. So he was one that stuck out. A coach that really gave me the first type of confidence in, on the, the international scene was a coach from Brazil. So the coach that brought us to the World Cup, Rene Simões, he was the assistant to Rene Simões. But he was the head coach for the U20s. Okay. Right? Yeah. And I remember at one point he wanted to bring me to Brazil to play with this club he was coaching. But, you know, I got injured. And by the time I got healthy again, he got, he left um, the post. And, you know, you know, that is in, in, in soccer. Other coaches are Altiman Butler. He was a legend in the Jamaican national team setup as well. One of the first players in Jamaica history to play abroad. Played in Portugal, France, um, in ML his name is Altiman Butler. Okay. Really good player back in his days, man. Midfielder. Um, he he was vital. He was actually the one responsible for me getting that opportunity in Norway because he was coaching in Norway. He came to Jamaica to um to scout, and he came to a U20 game when we played against Costa Rica in Jamaica 
And after the game, he came to me, uh, you know, you're a good player, blah, blah, blah. Introduced himself. And of course, in, being in Jamaica, you, you know these past players who, who really stood out. You know, but because it was so long, I didn't remember what he looked like. And when he introduced himself, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Ultimate Butler? And then we, we hit it off from day one, man. Mitch, I'm telling you, we hit it out from day one. He believed in me. He believed in my talent. And he did. He He's like a father figure, even up to today. So every time I would be leaving from Norway to go on international breaks, I would stop at his house in New York, spend like a couple of days. Then I go. I would go home on vacation. And when I'm going back to my back to Norway for preseason or whatever, I would still stop in his at his house in Norway, in um in New York, before heading over. Um, so he played a really vital role in, you know, my late teen, early twenties, thereabouts. So he played a really big role in me, you know, getting that opportunity in Norway. And last but not least, someone you're familiar with, um, Castro. Amilcar Castro, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. I met, yeah, I met Castro at the, the, the license course that we, we were a part of. And uh, he came back to L.A. We linked up and, you know, we, we, we keep close contact. And to me, we have similar ideas in terms of how we want to go about youth development. You know, let's, sorry about that, man. Pebbles, yeah. So he played a really um, no in recent times, maybe the last year and a half, thereabouts. You know, I have a lot of conversations with him. We would meet, we go on the pitch, you know. And this guy has a whole reservoir of um, experience, man. And the main fact that we see high to high in terms of youth development you know like it kind of mold us together and we you know we hang out now and then we talk about the game i share ideas with him he share his past i um experiences ideas and um so yeah and I, he's someone i really look i really look up to yeah and i consider him now as one of my mentors you know it's cool that's awesome. Because, as you know, I, I retired, what, a year and a half ago? And I'm only, I've only been coaching a year and a half now. So I'm not, I'm not one of those past players who, you know, who has high ego, whereas, oh, I played, I know more than you do. You know what I mean? Because you didn't play at a high level. Um, that's, that couldn't be further from, from the, the truth, man. You know what I mean? Not because you played Playing and coaching is two separate things, man. Yeah. And I'm learning that now. Like, how I saw the game when I was a player compared to how I see the game now as a coach is night and day. You know what I mean? I'm more involved into, in, you know, because when I was playing, I was one of those players that didn't socialize much. You know what I mean? It's not that I didn't want to. It's just that my accent, and especially in those earlier years, my accent was so thick. So people would often find it so difficult because I would pronounce words differently. So 
<laughs> I just started being like, all right, nobody understands me. Everybody keep asking me to repeat. I'll just be quiet until, <laughs> you know, I have to speak. So I was more so the one that observed a lot and, you know, just taking in the moment. But now being a coach, like, I'm not saying uh, I, I'm not like that, but the team sees you as the leader. So you have to step out of that, that box and you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, kind of draw some experience on that side of things. I think so far I'm, I'm doing a lot better, especially in my, my English. So that's that's one thing to be proud of. Hey, I, you, haven't, uh, you haven't you haven't you haven't tell me to repeat yet. So yeah, yeah. No, I, <laughs> hey, I feel you. I mean, I uh, when I first moved to the US, um, people in England would say I've got a farmer accent. So uh, <laughs> the way I would say words, or you know, people exactly. just understand me. So I spent most of the time having to repeat myself, especially exactly. in restaurants. I it's got to a point now. I just say the words. An American accent. I don't. I, I pronounce. I don't say water. Water anymore. I say water. Just, just so I know. And she knows she's not going to ask me to repeat myself. Exactly. Yeah. It's a learning moment too, man. You know, because language too is a fascinating thing, man. You know. So yeah. I'm just trying to, you know, um, have clear communication as clear as possible. Especially out there on the, with the kids, you know, it's important to be clear and precise in your message to them. So that's one of the things I'm trying to work on. I mean, my growth so far as a coach in the year and a half that I've been doing this, it's immense, mate. I'm the coach I was when I just started <laughs> to the coach I have now, and I'm looking at it and it's just a year and a half. So I know there is, you know, a long journey ahead there's a lot more to learn as i said when i when i came to that course when i met you for the first time mate i'm i have no ego about me mate like i'm here to learn i want to be the best developer of youth you know through the the game that we love football as much as possible and if i'm going to achieve that or get even close to that you know i have to be humble and you know, yeah, willing to to listen and you know what I mean. Yeah, and you said um, about how taking since taking the courses and stepping into the coaching world yourself, how it made you realize a lot of things as, as a player on how you thought and think. Wow, I thought of it this way, but really, I should be doing this, or you know, I. I don't know if you agree with me, but I actually think that maybe younger players, when kids get to 19, 22, between that age, I think it's important for them to start doing coaching courses, even if they want to be players. If you want to be a professional player, uh, or even just a, a good level semi-pro, that you take on some of these courses, it opens your mind to so many things. So many things, Mitch. It's, I, that's one thing. I, I actually had this conversation the other day with, um, with Altimon Butler, um, the, one of the coaches I, I really look up to, one of my mentors. And I, I, share the same, I share the same thought as you, mate. Like, the more you can find ways to continue being a student of the game, there's so much to learn. If Pep 
and Klopp and these high-profile coaches come on interviews telling you, you know, they're still finding ways to be better and, you know, little things like that. That means who are we not to be aspiring to be, to be better? These, th- that message is coming from the best or yeah. people who be young coaches consider the best. Yeah. You know, that, I think that's definitely something um, most young players should start looking into, man. Um, you know, just, as I said, being a student of the game, finding ways to, to learn as much as possible about the game because at the end of the day, it's only going to be beneficial to you. And, you know, if you, you move on to, to, to do, get involved in coaching, it's only going to be, you know, benefit to the players that you're going to be, you know, getting involved with. Sure, but I, and like I said, though, even as a player, if you you learn so much off of doing some of those coaching courses, or even yeah. just being around, you actually learn the most and being around the people, right? So, I, yeah, I because you're around, around the people who are calling the shot in terms of the coaches, and if you know how they think, you know the things that they're looking for, yeah. you know how they see the game, like it makes a better relationship better coach-player relationship because you know exactly what Mitch is looking for and you know how to go out there and, you know, get that job done or, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Hey, so I've got just a couple more questions. Um, If you had the power to change football in America, uh, in Jamaica, sorry, what would you do? Wow. How would you do it? Jeez. Um, there's so much thing coming to mind. So for the first thing I would do, man, is remove all the, the high-profile politics surrounding the game, man. Providing more opportunities for these kids. Better infrastructure, better facilities. Those things go a far away in, the, in youth development. Um, one of the things that I... One of the main things I would change, um, Mitch... I don't know if if you notice how I, I my whole demeanor changed when I after you asked this question because it means a lot, man. And um, yeah, provide more opportunities opportunities for the young players that's that's there, you know. Yeah, that's definitely the main thing. Like facilities. If you go to Jamaica and you see some of the facilities, like kids going to practice, don't they don't even have water? They don't even have a proper soccer cleat. Barefoot players coming in in sneakers, or because that's what they have, and this is their way out. Yeah, you know what I mean. So how can the higher, the the hierarchies um, provide a pathway for these kids? One of the next thing that I don't think we do very well in Jamaica is continuity. So you would have a U15 team in Spain or England, wherever, wherever else in the world. There's some form of continuity, even if that team was a a talented bunch, you try to keep those players as much as possible. Yeah. In Jamaica, it's the opposite, mate. And that's a big thing. We cannot wait until there's tournaments to be played, there's World Cup qualifiers, and one month, two months before, you're just calling players. Oh, hi, Mitch. My name is Andre. Oh, we have a World Cup qualifiers in, in, in three weeks, but we're just meeting each other. We don't know each other. We don't know. I don't know how you yeah. play. We, so little things like that, man. Continuity, better infrastructure for the um, youth development. 
like how much of that we have in Jamaica and are being successful at it. I'm telling you, the players who make it out in Jamaica, they make it out because of one, one main attribute that they possess is mental aspect. If you're not strong mentally, mate, it's going to be three times a uphill battle for you. Yeah. So, couple things. Remove, remove the politics that's plaguing our, our, our youth development in Jamaica. Get more infrastructure because I know they can do it. Yeah. They can do it, Mitch. Yeah. yeah. How can a country like Jamaica with the type of fields and, 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 um, and um, facilities that we have in Jamaica you're telling me in 2019, we're just getting a, a, a turf field? We only have one, one turf field in Jamaica, and that's where the national team practices now. Wow. 2019. Can you believe that? When you look at small, um, Carib other Caribbean countries, the Trinidad, these 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 um, Caribbean countries, I think I I think they are ahead of, of Jamaica in terms of, you know, resources, infrastructures, you know what I mean, facilities, their youth development. I think we need to step our game up in the youth in the youth the youth development aspect, yeah. big time. If we're gonna keep if we're gonna keep producing, you look at players like Leon Bailey and those kids. Where where are those kids coming from? We have the talent back home, mate, that can, you know, make some noise on the world stage. But if we don't do it properly, how are we ever gonna get to that type of level? Yeah. You know what I mean? Instead of pushing out one or two really high level talent every five years, we can be doing that every year. Yeah. But it's not gonna be done until the guys who are in this position start doing the right thing. That's what it comes down to. <clears throat> yeah, well, actually, Leon Bailey was a player I actually kind of forgot about because uh, obviously he plays in Germany. I actually watched him on TV last week, and he's a he's a definitely a player to watch. But Last, so, man. What, uh, what players... Oh, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to um, expand on that. Players like that, I remember seeing Leon Bailey. When I was about to leave to go to Norway, Leon Bailey, so Altiman Butler, he was trying to get Leon Bailey to go um, in Norway to get a couple of tryouts too. So both him and I went to, to watch a couple of games with him. And mate, he played with the U. He played, so this is an 11-year-old kid at the time. He was about 11 or 12 years old at the time. He was playing with the U15. The first game he played with the U15, mate, he's so little, but you, he was like a little messy. So like 11 year old playing with U15 and he's having this impact on the game. Mate, that was nothing. After that game, the U17 game was about to start. He started with the U17, and it was the exact same thing. 
he scored, I think, like four goals in the U15 games. And then he scored maybe, I think it was a hat-trick in the U17 game. I looked at Butler and I told him, he's going to be special. Oh, so you actually got to watch him then when he was a kid? Yeah, I known him for yeah, I known him when he was a kid playing growing up and everybody, the moment you see him, you only needed to watch him for like a minute and you could tell that this was a special talent. Nice. You know, and, and to see where he's been, you know, he, he continued to work hard and, you know, keep motivating himself to be better and better. And now he's amongst, you know, what, the top twenty players under twenty one to look out for. Yeah. I mean, I mean a, a kid, a little kid maker. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, it's a good chance he could, uh, yeah, man. Could, you know, help drive Jamaica onto different things. And... Exactly. And what that, 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 that just, what Ricardo Gardner and those players did for me when I was growing up in terms of inspira- um, inspiring, that's what he's doing to the, 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 the generation in Jamaica now. Uh, you go to Jamaica, that's all they talk about. Leon Bailey. <laughs> that's awesome. All of them want to be like Leon Bailey. <laughs> so, what what players inspired you then? Who's uh, been your... Uh, and it could be the best... I would like to know best player you played with, but also... And, you know, again, players that have just inspired you generally. Wow. Best player I played with, jeez. I think I'll start. Pebbles! Sorry about that, mate. I think I want to start with the best players I think I played with, I would say for sure, man, it was Carlos Vela, Dos Santos, and Chicharito. That Mexico U20 team we played against Mexico in Mexico, World Cup qualifiers. Um, and at this time, Dos Santos was still playing with Barcelona. So he was yeah. playing with Barcelona. Mate, he, he was out of this world, man. And that game, I was like, look, forget it, man. Forget it. And to the point where it was so embarrassing, we were, some of my teammates, we tried to hack him down, man. And they had to take him off to protect him. This guy was just having a, a, a showboat on it. A World Cup qualifier, man, and Carlos Vela. Wow, that was a big eye opener for me, man. Because at this point, I was that was when I played with the U twenties, my first time. And I was on the bench. We were there watching these guys, and I'm on the bench looking at this guy. I'm like, yo, this guy is out of this world. And I even thought he was gonna go on to bigger and better things during his time in Barcelona, but. You know how soccer is, man. Nothing is promised. Um, players I played with, best player. Wow, played with some really good players, man. I for sure. Um, Ricardo Gardner, national team. Um, there's this player, man. It's it's crazy. There's this um, fellas. There's this player in. I played with in Jamaica when I was playing with Waterhouse. I'm telling you, mate, there's so much talented players in Jamaica. It's just that these players doesn't get the opportunities to show what they can do on the world stage. There's this player called Vincent Earl. Um, we call him Maestro. 
out of this world, mate. Like, you talk about a perfect midfielder, mate. He has everything. And to see those players retire and didn't even get an opportunity to play out um, abroad, yeah. it's, that gives you even more... That gives you even more reasons to think or to believe how much of a... I'm trying to choose my words carefully here, you know? <laughs> I mean, the, the, the system is just... They're not doing it right. So players who deserve stuff are not getting it and players who hardly ever or didn't deserve just because they know this person or this person knows this person, they're looking out for their best interest. So a couple of players in Jamaica that I played with, I thought were a high level, but you know the world didn't get to, to, to know these players. And there was one other player, it was a Swiss player I played with in Orange County Blues when I was playing in the USL in America. I get Didier Cretinan, man. <laughs> this guy, he reminded me of Kaka when Kaka played. He was that type of a player. Like, it doesn't matter how small that space is, man. That through ball is getting traded. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we did it, but yeah, these guys were special. These guys were special. Well, Andre, I really appreciate you coming on and of course, man. That's about your experiences. I learned a lot just listening from you, and uh, sure, a whole lot more. But you know, we have to we have to respect the time. Yeah. <laughs> a whole lot more, you know. Uh, it was awesome, honestly. It's uh, great hearing about your experiences and uh, what your where you, your philosophy on the game really, and uh, what how you want to ch try and change it. And, Okay, great, great phone call. Always good talking and seeing you. Always good talking and seeing you. I'll probably be at the coaching convention next uh, January down in LA. So I'll. Uh, so we can link up here, mate. For sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. All right, Andre. T thank you so much. Of course, man. Thanks for having me, man. All right. One love. One T love. Take care. Bye. All right, bro. One love. Take care. Hello. A lovely cushion header. Oh, you beauty!